Morning. How we doing? Better now? I knew I was going to be a mess after that. Thank you, music team. Thanks, Trav, for your leadership. Isn't that good? Oh, so good. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 19. Tw- I'm sorry, chapter 21. <clears throat> John chapter 21. Um, Kind of a postscript in the Gospel of John. He's, he's sort of wrapped up the purpose of his book just before this chapter, and he gives us a couple of stories uh, related to the resurrected Christ and, and revealing himself to his disciples. So we're going to read verses 1 through 19, if you'd read along with me. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show about what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good day. We thank you for drawing us together as a church. The people of God gathered and assembled corporately, the temple of the living God. Lord, your spirit, your presence is here. We ask that for all those who have entered these doors, that through singing, praying, reading scripture, and especially preaching, the secrets of their hearts would be revealed. That things would be spoken to them by you, by the Holy Spirit, that only they know. That they would have that sense, God is talking to me. Lord, and we ask that they would feel, experience, recognize, believe that God really is among us. That this is a special and unique gathering. This is a special thing that we're doing. Where you have ordained and promised to be present with us in a powerful way. The resurrected Christ through the spirit of Christ. Here, present, speaking, active. Changing, transforming, saving, judging. Lord Jesus, do what only you can because we come here in worship of you. We come here to worship you and to receive the food of your word. Would you feed your sheep? We ask in your wonderful, mighty, precious name. Amen. All right. Question for you, show of hands, how many of you failed God this week? Get those hands up. This is how we weed out the Pharisees. Where are they? Where are the self-righteous? We'll get you. Maybe forget this week. How about uh, during the service so far? I think I heard some whisper yells. Yep, yep. To the kids, you know the whisper yell? Better be still or I will murder you in this church. I swear. Yet not I, but through. Anybody? God says, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Puritans would say, to obey the law of God perfectly, you must do it personally, perfectly, and perpetually. How we doing? How we doing? Even if you're not a Christian, even if you wouldn't say, I, you know, I'm not into this Bible thing. I, I, I don't, someone dragged me here. I, I'm not really sure about it all. I don't confess Jesus. I'm not thinking in those terms. You know you failed. So everyone that I've ever talked to would admit, I'm not perfect. Yeah, and I think if I asked for a show of hands, everyone would say that. That's the equivalent of saying, I have failed morally. I have failed morally. Everybody has, everybody knows it. The question is, what will you do with your failure? What will you do? Where will you go? Who will you hope in when you have failed you?
Will you be so devastated that you deny it? Will you be so discouraged that you quit? Will you be so depressed that you just take your life? It's not worth living. Trust me, the moment that you sin is the moment that Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Just like Peter, tear you apart internally. He's ready, he's waiting, he's pouncing. What will you do when you fail? If you build your life, hear me, if you build your life on your effort, your work, your goodness, your strength, you will fall. You will fall. Because you will fail. Just ask Peter. Told Jesus he would never fail him, never deny him. Built his life on his strength, his faith, and failure. Epic failure. And Peter was the best of us. Peter was the best. Praise God, Peter did fail Jesus, but Jesus did not fail Peter. Praise God, when we fail Jesus, he never fails us. In his devastation over his sin, what does Jesus do? He comes to him, he forgives him, he restores him. We need to learn, as Peter did, the only power, the only hope in this universe for all your failures is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ because when Jesus went into the ground after he was crucified, he took all your sin with him. And when he rose from the dead out of that tomb, it was gone. It was over. It was finished. So when you come to those moments, you, are, you realize you are worse than you thought you were. Remember, there's only one refuge, only one hiding place, only one safety net to catch you, and that is Jesus Christ. That's my intro. That's it. It's over. We've got a lot to get to. This passage is like Wonka's chocolate room. Everything is edible. It's eatable. We want to get into it. You know God's Word is like that. You walk into a big, beautiful room, and you just eat it, anything. That's what God's Word is like, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to feast. I'm going to make some observations, and then we're going to slow down and focus on Peter and Jesus. Verse 1, look at it with me. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples on the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. So John adds this kind of P.S. to his gospel, sharing these stories of 40 days in between Jesus' resurrection and ascension. So who's there? Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, Canaan, Canaan of Galilee, sons of Zebedee, James and John. Two others of his disciples were together, and Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. This is their profession. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. <laughs> what would that have been like? Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. It may be they're too far away to recognize him. It may be that in his glorified body, which he has at this point, Jesus is hard to recognize. You remember Mary thought he was the lawn guy. Right? Are you the gardener? 
no, I'm the son of God. I'm Jesus. You know me. Uh, but he's hard to recognize because he's in glory. And dear friends, I would say this to you. As he is, so you will be. He is the first fruits of the new creation. And I'm looking at new creation. You're just not where he is yet. But you'll get there. You will still be you when you have a glorified body, but you will be so radiant and so resplendent that you will be hard to recognize. Your, only fa your own family members may have to do a double take. Is that you? Yeah, it's me as I was meant to be. It's me shining like the sun, like Jesus is here. Pure and perfect in body and in soul. Can you imagine it? You need to think about it. As he is right here, so you will be. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. These are professional fishermen. I don't know that they're in the habit of taking orders from people they don't know on how to fish. I don't really know how to explain that other than Jesus is God. He is God, the Son of God. And so when he speaks, apparently, you know, they just do it. They take his advice. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. How excited is Peter to see Jesus? He can't even think straight. He's just like, it's Jesus. I don't have my shirt on because I'm working, but I got to put my shirt on because Jesus is here. But then I'm going to jump in the lake and swim to him. Like, I don't even, why am I doing that? I don't know. It's like a dog that is so excited to see their master appease on the floor. That's like Peter right here. He just doesn't know what he's doing. He just jumps in the water. <laughs> Let me say this. There are only two appropriate responses to meeting Jesus, the real Jesus. Either you run to him or swim to him, in this case, as fast as you can. Or you run away from him. You deny him. You reject him completely. Peter has done both. What doesn't make any sense is the, I don't know. I, I'm not against Jesus. I mean, that's cool. You know, he had some good teachings. But I, don't, I wouldn't say I follow him. I wouldn't say I'm really giving my life to him. But I don't have a problem with him. That doesn't make any sense. You don't know who he really is if that's your response. And some of you, maybe you're there today. That's how you view Jesus. I'm just kind of indifferent. Okay, let's take a step back. Think about what this person is claiming. He's saying he's the son of God. In human form. He's God in human form. Either he's psychotic and you put him in a room with padded walls or you fall down and worship him. 
Those are the only options. I don't know about Jesus. You know, I don't really care. You, you, you don't have any idea who you're dealing with if that's your response. It's one or the other. And if you, if you, if you don't know, if you shrug your shoulders, you need to find out. And it's good you're here. It's good you're listening. Because every week, guess who we're talking about? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You know, it's like, man, as a preacher, anything else that I would have to preach about every week might get a little bit old. It might get a little boring, but it never does with Jesus because His glories never end. We just keep unfolding it and unfolding it and unfolding it in the Scripture, and it's like fresh and and beautiful and new every week. And I love it because I get to talk about Jesus, and He's my favorite person. I love you guys. I love you. He's my favorite person. Only two ways to react to the real Jesus. If you really listen to him, you run away or you run to. Peter Stumbo. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Don't you love the Bible? These kind of details. Why does it have these details? Do we really need to know the fire was charcoal? Because it really happened. It really happened. The Bible is not religious fantasy. It's not moral fables. What kind of fire? Charcoal. What's for breakfast? Fish and bread. How'd you cook it? Over the fire. It really happened. No other ancient religious document has details like these. This is eyewitness accounts testifying that a man who they saw die has risen from the dead, is walking around and eating breakfast with them. He had fish. He had bread. Sort of a big deal. Think about if someone was claiming that today. Again, either you're crazy or if there's enough witnesses, if there's enough evidence, hmm, maybe. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. How many? 152? No. 153. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I love that line. I just love that, how earthy and simple Jesus is. Not like, sit down, I'm going to teach you something. Let's, let's eat. I'm hungry. I made you breakfast. It's not in my notes. I just love that. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now, let's talk about Peter. We have to remember what happened between Jesus and Peter before we can understand them talking here on the beach. Peter has seen it all with Jesus. He was there. The healings, the miracles, walking on water with him, telling Jesus, I will never deny you. I will lay down my life, Lord, for you. I will follow you anywhere. You are the Christ. 
He was a disciple, one of 12 chosen in all the world to spend three years in seminary with Jesus. He's one of three on the inner circle of Jesus' life. One of his best friends, a leader, first among equals. What do we do? I don't know. Ask Peter. Peter was there at the transfiguration when Elijah and Moses come down in their glory and Jesus is for a moment glorified. He was there. He saw it. He talked to them. He's an apostle. He writes books of the Bible. He is the best of the best. And he failed. He failed. A girl in junior high, poor, powerless, no threat whatsoever, other than hypothetically she could tell someone that he's with Jesus, asks him, aren't, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? No, I am not. Someone else asks him by the fire a minute later, Didn't, don't, don't I know you? Aren't you one of his disciples? No, I am not. A third time, someone says, now, I was in the garden and my cousin, you cut his ear off. I think I remember seeing you there, didn't I? No, I'm not with him. I don't know him. Leave me alone. And then the rooster crows. And Jesus looks at Peter in the eye. What have I done? While Jesus is being beaten, betrayed, crucified, Peter is lying, cowering, fearful of what's going to happen to him. Jesus knew Peter would fail him. He predicted him. And Jesus knows you and I will fail him too. Jesus knows that you and I will fail him too. You will do things that you swore you, will, you would never do. I swore I would never have a minivan. And look at me now. Practically an apologist for minivans, okay? I should get a check from Honda every month. I said, you know, I'm never going to lose it with my kids. I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to put on patience every day. Guess how long that lasted, Okay. I remember very, very clearly a specific day. Piper would not stop crying. I mean, I told her, stop crying. She was like three months old. She should be able to obey that at that point. Stop crying. She wouldn't stop. And Carrie wasn't around, so I couldn't pull the, I think she's hungry, here you go card, you know. Uh, you take over. I was just alone with the baby, and I remember I got so mad. In my heart, I was angry. And only by the grace of God, I didn't throw Piper out the window. Because in my flesh, honestly, seriously, that's what I wanted to do. That is exact, and I'm glad I didn't. Only by God's grace. We say those things. I, I, I'll never do this. I'll never do that. I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to be like my mom. And then you are. And then you do it. The thing you swore you'd never do. Now, 
I'm not saying you can't break generational sin. You can. And some of you need to hear that. You can. I'm not saying you can't grow and change and that you're always going to be the same person, that you're static. No, we don't believe that. You grow, you change. I hope I'm less angry today than I was, how old are you? 12 years ago. What I'm saying, what I'm pressing on is be careful. It's not pride saying, I would never do that. Listen to me. Even as a, as a, a mature Christian, whatever it is, you're capable of doing it. Whatever it is you think you'd never do, you are capable. So let's be humble. Let's admit that. Let's cling to Jesus and not ourselves. The question is, where will you go? What will you cling to? Your only hope is not you. It's that Jesus will never let you go. He will never fail you. And you know that because he's risen. If he's dead, then you're still in your sins. If he's dead, all you have is guilt, shame, sin, and a future in hell. If he's dead, then we are a joke. This is a joke. The world should laugh at us. Look at those people. They, they, think, they think they're going to heaven. They think this person that they worship is alive. What holds your relationship together is not your faithfulness. It is his. When we are faithless, he is faithful. That is what you hope in. Humility says, if it wasn't for him holding me, I would not hold on to him. It's just a matter of time before I let go. So thank you, Jesus. You're holding me when I'm not holding you. Peter's great mistake was not believing that, basing his relationship with Jesus on his ability, his commitment, his love. His identity was, I love you more than all of these people. I will go to, with you to the end. Where they fail, I will succeed. You see, Jesus was Peter's teacher, but he wasn't really his savior. Peter was Peter's savior. And so when he failed, it crushed him. It crushed him. It devastated him because that's his identity. His identity is, I love Jesus more than anyone else. I will not fail. They may fail, but I will succeed. So what, what happens when you deny him three times and you fail? Everything under your feet crumbles. This is why we need to be careful when we say that what makes me a Christian is that I invited Jesus into my heart. I asked Jesus into my heart. So, you know, what is the gospel? Or what, 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 how do you know that you're saved? Well, I asked Jesus into my heart. Is it biblical that when you trust in Jesus, he comes into your heart by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ? Absolutely, yes. Ephesians 3, very clear. But is your trust in what you did, what you did on that day, 
what if you didn't do it right? What if you didn't pray the prayer right? This is why people end up rededicating their life to Jesus dozens of times. I'm not sure if I got it right. What if you don't feel Jesus in your heart? Does that mean you're not a Christian? What if you don't always act like Jesus is in your heart? Am I saved? What saves you is not your love for Jesus. It's his love for you. What saves you is not your love for Jesus, but his love for you. What saves you is not your faithfulness, it is his. It will be counted to us as righteousness who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It is Jesus crucified and raised that guarantees you are right with God. Nothing else. Nothing else, which means your failures, I can, I'm happy to tell you, are not the end of the story. When you fail, that is not the end of the story. This is what we can say when we fail. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Whatever you've done, you can say with confidence, it is finished. What is that but good news? That is such good news. Peter's story, our stories, this is what the world needs to hear. Redemption songs. Not the story of how hard you worked. How well you planned. All the wins you've racked up in your life. They need to hear the story of how Jesus redeemed you. It's him, not me. Your kids need to hear the story of how Jesus redeemed you. How you failed, but he didn't fail you. Listen, no one is the hero of their own story. Jesus is the hero of every story. You're the villain of your life. I'm the villain of my life, okay? There's no hope if people think I'm the hero because I will fail. What is that teaching them? What is that telling them? Why would they have confidence unless it's like, no, I'm the villain. I'm the problem. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the hero. That's what our lives have to be about. That has to be our song. That has to be the heartbeat of our life, not, man, we really just, you know, we read the right books, we did the right things, we came to the right church, we prayed the right prayer. Peter had to learn that, and he does. Not because he figured it out and fixed himself. He learns it because Jesus loves him. Jesus is patient with him. Jesus is kind, tender, and giving of grace upon grace upon grace. Verse 15, now we're ready. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter had denied Jesus around a fire. Now Jesus gives him the opportunity to repent around a fire. Jesus looked Peter in the eye to bring conviction. Now he looks him in the eye 
to bring restoration. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Notice he doesn't say, you know I love you more than these. He just says, I love you. I just love you. Peter's getting it. It's not about comparing yourself to other people. He doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't defend himself. He just says, Lord, I just love you. That's it. I'm not thinking about anybody else. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm not building my life on myself, my faithfulness anymore. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Now notice, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times does Jesus ask him this question? Three times. He's helping him heal. He's helping him heal. He's giving him the chance to express himself in faith three times, just as he had unbelief three times. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Peter, you're a coward. Peter, you're a liar. Peter, you love what other people think of you more than you love me. It's all true. He doesn't humiliate him. He helps him. Peter, my friend, your deepest problem is not what you did. It's who you love. It's here. It's your heart. And in coming to him, pulling him aside with warmth and tenderness face to face, Peter knows that Jesus loved him. He knows. If he didn't, he wouldn't have come. He wouldn't have pulled him aside. He wouldn't have talked to him. Jesus gives him a face-to-face -face opportunity to repent and be restored. And by the way, if you have conflict with people, you need to get face-to-face. -face. Don't send an email. Don't write a text. Give face to face. I, I just give you Jesus' example as one truth. This is the way we need to do it. And as Christians, we need to be different. Because actually working things out face to face, not real popular right now. We need to be different. We need to be like Jesus. We need to have the courage and the faith to do that hard thing of facing someone that there's tension. Let me say this to you. The root of all your problems is this. It's right here. One, you don't really believe that Jesus loves you. At least... At times, just, just let that sink in because I, I think we would be quick to say Jesus loves me, but I think functionally in our lives, there are a lot of moments because we know who we are, we know our failures, but I'm not sure. And so, two, therefore, we don't love him in return. That's why we sin. That's the essence of sin. 
I don't believe that Jesus loved me, died for me, cares about me, and therefore, I'm not going to live for him. Sin is not just breaking God's laws. It's breaking God's heart. He loves you. He's your friend. He's been faithful to you unto death. He's been thinking about you since the world was created, before the world was created. People think it's just, you know, well, you've been bad. You broke a rule. That God is a person. And especially the Christian, when we sin, we take a spear and we twist it in his side. It breaks his heart. Peter's story is a gospel story. The arc of his life is a deep J. He's up here, he's called, and then he goes way down, and then he comes back through the resurrection of Jesus. He's up, he's way down, and then he comes back. Death and resurrection. This is the shape of the Christian life. It's like a J. And Jesus says, restoring him, feed my sheep. What's he doing? He's calling him into leadership. He's calling him to be a teacher and preacher of God's word, a shepherd and rock of the church. It's just amazing that this is happening. If a CEO badmouths their company on Twitter, they're not getting rehired. If a politician denies being a citizen of the country where they were elected, they're not getting reelected. Like the world does not operate that way, but God's kingdom is a covenant of grace, a kingdom of redemption. The message of forgiveness is only, only, only given to people who are forgiven. That's the way God chose to do it. So it's one forgiven sinner talking to another, even talking to someone who's not a Christian. I'm not standing above you. I'm not standing above you. I'm standing either with you or below you. Look at what Jesus does with Peter spectacular failure. Okay, now I'm going to build my church with you and on you. That's crazy. That's crazy. And if he can do that with Peter's life, what can he do with yours? More than you think. And then Jesus tells Peter he will grow and transform so dramatically that he actually will honor God in his death. He will glorify God in his death. He will pass the test. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, (coughs) when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. Jesus is faithful to Peter until the end, letting him glorify God in his death. We won't find it in Scripture, but history tells us that under Roman persecution, Peter had the opportunity to flee. He, he was, he was, they were seeking his arrest. He could have gotten away. He knew about it. He didn't. He stayed. When he was arrested, they said, we're going to crucify you. He said, no, please. 
Crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. This is a changed man. This is a humble man. This is a man God can use. Just men, it's not about always getting it right. I know it's hard for us to admit that. We have to. If God is going to use you, you have to be willing to admit, I got it wrong. I messed up. Please forgive me. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. Have those words ever come out of your mouth yet? To your kids, to your grandkids, to your wife. I need a Savior. I want you to know that I need a Savior just as much as you do, just as much as anybody else. That's a man God can use. The man who will never say that, you close yourself off from the living God and his power. For all of us, God doesn't promise to rescue us from failures, sacrifices, but he does promise to bring about resurrection and restoration through your failures and sacrifices. We want to be spared those things. God says, no. Peter, I'm sure, would love to have been spared the shame, the pain of what he did. But God let him go through it so that he could use him on the other side in power, resurrection power. And kids, young people, you got your life ahead of you. You got your whole life. You're thinking about what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Who am I going to be? The Bible tells you up front, and you need to hear this. The Bible tells you up front, your life will not go just like you planned. Talk to any senior Christian, and they will affirm that statement. Life will not go exactly the way that you hope it will. And the question is, when that happens, where will you go? Where will you go? God does promise to be with you. God does promise his love never ends. God does promise he will give you grace, more grace than you realize when you mess up. And you will. He does promise he will take your messes, he will clean them up, and he will use them for good and his glory. So I think a good way for us to approach our life as Christians is cautious optimism. Cautious optimism. We're cautious because of the reality of sin. In my heart and in the world, it's a fallen world. So we don't want to be naive to that. But we're optimistic because of the reality of grace. God is good. He is. So we can be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Cautiously optimistic. If we're naive to sin in the world, if we're naive to our own hearts and how good we are, we're going to be crushed when it doesn't go the way we thought, when we disappoint ourselves, when someone else disappoints us. Peter learned that. So I want you to remember Peter. I want you to remember Peter. Like you, 
He failed Jesus, but Jesus didn't fail him. And when you fail Jesus, he will never, never, never fail you. Amen. Father God, thank you that in your grace, in Jesus Christ, you never fail us. Lord, you are long-suffering. You are patient. You let us go through these things. You let us make mistakes so that we can learn to depend on you and not ourselves. I pray, Lord, for these friends, these brothers and sisters whom I love, that they would remember Peter. Incredible failure. Failure that maybe we can't even imagine. Denying Jesus to people, saying, I'm not a Christian. I don't know him. But restored. Because, Lord Jesus, you were raised. This is our hope. This was Peter's hope. That our sin is truly forgiven. Not just because you died, but because you rose. That's how we know. May we have confidence, Lord. May when we fail, we go there. We say no. In the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am not condemned. And I am coming to Jesus. I am running to Jesus. Give us that grace, we ask in your name. Amen.